Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Give somebody a fist bump. Tell them you're glad they're here this morning. They made it. God's grace is good. I always love the weekend after conference. It's just there's so much expectancy, so much joy. And man, if you, I took a, a back seat as Troy did Friday night and all day Saturday. One of the guys in the house, Troy, we appreciate you. Thanks for making the conference awesome. But if you just took a back seat in the house, as even Sarah and Kelly did, you could just feel the heart of worship that was here and the heart of expectancy. And I don't know about you, but this church is blessed with some of the most awesome women. And uh, I don't know, there's so many women here that have been like a mother to me and are, are like mothers to so many children and are encouragers and just have a heart for the Spirit of God. It's just like Mary who... The mother of Jesus was full of grace and carried Jesus Christ. There was something, there's something, a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that women carry. And it's just beautiful as even we just experienced Lacey and Bree leading us in this time of worship. Weren't you blessed by it this morning? I love it. I wish we could kidnap Lacey and uh, have her move here to Kentucky. She's such a blessing every time that she comes, and uh, we will definitely miss her, but definitely grateful uh, for her ministering to us. So this morning, man, it, it's already been a powerful uh, morning, and uh, we've had a, a, the past few weekends, the month of May is always crazy around here from Zion Christian Academy, end of the year things, and we were crazy and said, why not do a baptism, a fundraiser, and a conference all at the same time? and still have church on Sundays. So it's been, yeah, have church twice on Sundays. I don't know what I was thinking with that, but God's good. That's what you say when you don't know what to say. God's good. (laughs) So this morning, we're jumping right back into the book of Ephesians. You've been blessed through these talks, through these studies. I don't want to rush through it because there's so much truth packed into Ephesians as Paul addresses it to the church in Ephesus, but also to the saints. So this is truth for you and I. And I'm excited because I believe it's laying the foundation as we open up what the Holy Spirit's gonna do uh, through what Pentecost brings into our lives, what we see in the book of Acts, what we see uh, through some of the other epistles that we're gonna be jumping into uh, when summer rolls around. But I want us to gain the truth and the heart of what Paul is saying through Ephesians. So this morning, we're gonna be looking at Ephesians chapter four, uh, verse one through 16. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If not, uh, it'll be on the screen here. And uh, good news as well, we've been in the process of uh, building an app for our church. And this is gonna be great, you're gonna love it. It's gonna have all the sermons and uh, you're gonna, I'm gonna upload notes to all the messages that you can open up and you can take notes and save it. Uh, so it's going to be very interactive, and it's going to be a great blessing to, to you uh, as our church. So we're also going to be rolling that out uh, here uh, in the summer as well. But first, let's jump in uh, to Ephesians and see what Paul has to say to us this morning. Chapter 4, verse 1, this is what Paul says. He says, So I, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to you to live a life worthy. Somebody say worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is the amplified version, so it breaks it down. 
It says that is to live a life that exhibits godly character, exhibits moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior. A life that expresses to God for your salvation, gratitude to God for your salvation. Verse 2, with all humility, which means forsaking self-righteousness, and gentleness, maintaining self-control, with patience, bearing with one another in unselfish love. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the oneness of the Spirit in the bond of peace, each individual working together to make the whole successful. There is one body of believers, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when called to salvation. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, you're seeing a creed here, one God and Father of us all who is sovereign over all and working through all and living in all. So here's the portion of scripture I really want to unpack and unload, but I want to just give context. I want to finish reading this off. Paul now goes into spiritual gifts, and he also uh, elaborates greatly in Corinthians on spiritual gifts. Verse 7, he says, but to each of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Aren't you thankful that you have grace this morning? He quotes a scripture here in Psalms. He says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. So he crushed death and the grave and sin's place in our life. And he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Jesus became flesh for us. He was the word in the beginning. Verse 10, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some, so we see gifts begin to be listed. He gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So you see the gifts and you see the purpose of the gifts. It's to edify the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer, here's this, this passage here is so relevant for the time and age we live in, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up and all things into him who is the head, Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together. Flip my page here. Knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, and it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Isn't that good? Aren't you already encouraged? We could just stop there. That's powerful, powerful scripture. And so this morning, if you're taking notes, the title of our talk is I Am Called. Each week, we've looked at how we're rich in Christ, that this is the theology. This is the doctrine of what Paul is saying. And if you remember, I told you that uh, the first three chapters of Ephesians are set up to give us our doctrine, to give us our theology of what Paul is trying to express, what grace is, how we're saved, what a life in Christ looks like, what is our inheritance and now he begins to shift because you can't begin to list off all these things, the do's and don'ts and, and all the fun stuff we love to read if you don't understand who you are in Christ, if you don't understand your identity. You're just going to get ticked off and shut your Bible and walk away. But if you go back to John 14, 15, this is a key scripture in your walk 
with God. It says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Now, John Bevere broke this down for us great, so good and good or God when we did that series here. But it's not, uh, if I love God, I have to obey, I have to obey, I have to obey. No, if you love God, guess what begins to happen? You just naturally begin to obey the commandments of God. Your love begins to show fruit, and the fruits of the Spirit, living works, begin to show up in your life. And so these next few weeks, as we look at this, Paul's going to hit hard on some things, but it's out of a passion that you have to catch in verse 1 that he says, I beg you, I urge you to live a life worthy of the call of God. We all have a high calling. It's not just the apostles and the prophets and the pastors, teachers, evangelists, but all of us are saints and we have the high call of God. We are rich in Christ and when you're wealthy in Christ, guess what? You don't walk the way you used to walk. You have to put some things down in order to get new things in your life. And so Paul is encouraging this church that is heavily Gentile, which means they're heavily pagan. They don't understand the ways of God. He's saying, now you have to begin to put down your old nature and take up this new nature in Jesus Christ. Paul also says that you are ambassadors. You and I are ambassadors of Christ. And wherever we are in the dark, in a crowd like this, we are ambassadors. It doesn't matter who's watching or who's not watching. You know, in the day and age we live in, why I believe this passage of Scripture is so relevant, is we live in a world that's more concerned with image than with character. More concerned of what people just see on the outside. We, want peop- we just want to kind of trick people. I don't want them to really see the real me because we're scared if they get past that, what they might think or what might happen. But Paul is saying, don't focus on image, focus on your character. And let me tell you, the mark of a healthy church is a church that gets the character of God in them and walks the same when the lights are on and when the lights are off. You'll never be more, you'll never have power on a stage or in front or influence if there's not power in the prayer closet. You've heard that before. And so Paul is, begins to lay out these virtues that we're to have in our life. Before he gets into the gifts, we love the gifts of prophecy and of knowledge and, and teaching and all the things that edify the church. But he begins to lay this foundation that you have to have these virtues in order for these gifts to really work. Because the gifts aren't to make, to make me or to make you the man of the hour, the man of power, right? It's for you to become a servant and to serve each and every one in the body of Christ. The gifts are to serve each other. And when gifts are taken out of context, they don't work. Bree and I recently picked up uh, some Apple watches. Christian finally convinced me that it was time to get one. And it's amazing, like, I thought I just did a couple things, but when you really get into it and you unpack it, you're like, wow, this thing is great. I recently found him a big golfer, if you didn't know. Golf somehow always makes it into these sermons somehow. I don't know how. But there's this app where it allows you, you download it, and then wherever you're at on the golf course, no matter what the hole is, it tells you the distance from where you're standing to the flag. And so you're going to pull the right club every time. You're going to get the best shots. And I'm, I'm loving it. Me and uh, my brothers and my dad went out and played some golf. And Clay is way over there because he always shoots way over there. He's never straight. It's a little jab on him. 
and he's yelling, Garrett, what is the yardage? So I now am always checking my watch and yelling yardages to my brother. So I don't know if it's a good idea, but I love it. But what I'm saying is, is salvation is, again, so much more than a prayer, so much more than a ticket to heaven. Grace is so much more than that. And he's trying to say, now that you have this doctrine, because what you believe does matter, because the code at that Paul was confessing one spirit, one body, one baptism. This is uh, really known as the Apostles' Creed or the, the Nicene Creed. It, it, it teaches theology that if you get this down, now I can be, begin to teach you your duty in Christ or the responsibility of how you're to carry it. Because the code reflects your conduct. Whatever you believe always reflects how you're going to act. So what you believe is that important about God, about marriage, about family, the things that greatly influence our life. And so let's look again what Paul was saying, what he was trying to communicate to us. If you look in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 through 3, he lists these virtues. I'll say them to you and then I want to read it, but it's humility, it's gentleness, it's patience, bearing with one another, loving people, and working hard to keep the unity among believers. If a church has that, it will be healthy. It will function like you've never seen it function before. Here's what it says in the scripture. It says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, and hear what I love, bearing with one another in love, make every effort. So it's saying there's this, there has to be effort toward it. Unity just doesn't happen. There's effort that has to be made. Families, you know this. It says to keep the oneness of the spirit in the bond of peace. And the Amplified, it breaks it down. It, it says again, each individual working together to make the whole successful. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, loving people, and working hard to keep unity among believers. These are the foundation of our faith. If you want to see the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate in your life, there has to be humility. And so a couple points I want you to take with you is number one, in regards to salvation, and we hit this hard in our talk on I am saved, is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And the point says this, it says, the way you live has nothing to do with the way you were saved. So we don't live a certain way to get God's acceptance, to get God's grace. We know that it's a gift. And when we confess, we receive it in our baptism, in our public confession, the grace of God comes into our life. And then we begin to walk out salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, a quick refresher. It says, for by grace, you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. I love it. And so going back to what Paul is saying, he's listing off these virtues. This is really what he begins to discover. I wrote this down. I want to read it to you. It says that Paul discovered after he was saved by grace, this is, we all make this discovery in our life, after he was saved by grace, that through his faith in Christ, hear this, he could better control his thoughts. He could control his lust, his anxiety, his anger, his feelings of guilt. When you begin to put on the new nature, guess what? You can control your flesh, and your flesh does not control you. It's powerful. And so he's saying 
these virtues, if you can get these virtues in your life, you're going to begin to see the new nature that Jesus gave us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, begin to operate in your life. Number two, if you're taking notes, and I believe, I don't want to spend some time really unpacking this because it's powerful, and if we're going to be a church that really serves people and be a church that really reaches people, this is important. Number two is the way we walk is seen in how we treat others. The way we walk is really seen in how we treat others. Psalms 133, it it speaks of this. It says, where there is unity, there is anointing and there is blessing. When there's unity in your home, there's gonna be anointing and blessing. When there's unity in your marriage, in your workplace, uh, with your children, there's anointing and blessing. On the flip side of that, if there isn't unity, then there isn't anointing and there isn't blessing. And in corporate settings like this, when you think about it, the Holy Spirit really doesn't work through disunity. He works through what? He works through unity. And so that's why Paul is, again, urging them to have a oneness of the Spirit. And we want the anointing and the blessing of God. My heart as your pastor is that you and your families, you in every area of your life, that there would be an anointing and a blessing of God. And Paul lists this of how we're to have this in our life and how we're to really walk in it, how we're to unpack it, how we're to understand how it works. I was sharing in the first service our our, uh, security guy, Alan, out front who protects and watches over us. Um, I, he worked for my dad, and I worked with my dad when I was 13 years old, and uh, I was thrown out at an early age into a tar truck. It taught me humility very quick. And uh, I was working with Alan, and he was, this was like when eBay was really kicking off. Any big eBayers, like you love selling stuff on eBay. Let me see you. You'll appreciate this. All right, Nikki, me and you. I'm, this story's for you. And so Alan was like, really into it and wanted to understand it. And so he, uh, at the time, it was hilarious, in the truck, it didn't have an aux cord. It was like in that weird stage where cars didn't have aux cords or Bluetooth. So you had to have a CD. And so if you wanted to listen to something on your phone, what did you do? You got like this AM converter that you could hopefully get a good sound through a channel that didn't work on your AM radio. You always heard a trucker come in and CB over. I mean, it was awesome. And so we turned this uh, podcast on, and every day of the summer I was with Alan, we would listen to this eBay Live podcast, and we began to understand how eBay worked. And he showed me kind of the tricks of the trade that, hey, if you have stuff in your basement, who would have ever thought there would be something where you could take the junk in your basement and make cash and make money? It's awesome. And so he began to show me how all of this works. And what I want to say through that is that's how salvation is. That's why God gives us the word of God, is If you never understand how eBay works, it's never going to benefit you. Your stuff is going to sit in your basement and be a burden when it could be a blessing for you. The same is with salvation. There's so much, and that's why salvation, Christianity, is a lifelong process. We don't get it all at once, but we study it. We chew on it. We muse on it, and it begins to change us from the inside out. Know that there's, I want to learn something every day when I read God's word. It never grows old to me. And I pray it never does to you. So the way we walk is seen in how we treat others. I wrote this down as well. When you make an effort to live in a Christ-honoring manner, it immediately affects the people around you. 
It's like the foot washing of Jesus with his disciples. It's a way of living that goes against the grain. If you look at our culture and our world today, wouldn't you say serving, humility, gentleness kind of goes against the grain of what the world says we should be? It shocks people. You ever shock someone because you served your enemy or someone who you know didn't deserve it or thought you would never do it? You do it. It shocks them. All the humility and gentleness, it stuns people. And it's a strength that is found in people. You know, I pray, or here's, here's what humility is. Here's where, how we see it play out. People around you go first. Other people get the best portion. Let me know when I start stepping on some toes. People you live with, people you work with, people you study, play, and hang with, they get more than you do. They get more honor. They get more prestige. They get more joy. They might, they might even have more stuff, money, but you choose to be, live a lifestyle that says you will be a servant and they will be served. I pray that you would know that my heart as your pastor and, and really what the pulse of this church would be is that we would serve one another, that we would see the power in serving. Scripture says that Jesus didn't come to be served. The Son of God did not come to be served by us, but he came to serve us. And so when we reflect that, guess what? That's the ingredients to see miracles happen when we serve one another and when there is a culture in a church that has a heart to serve. It's powerful. I love this, uh, a little illustration for you. There was an admirer that once asked Leonard Bernstein, who was a celebrated orchestra conductor, and this admirer asked him, what was the hardest instrument to play? He replied without any hesitation, and he said, second fiddle. He said, I can always get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. He said, and yet if no one plays second, we will have no harmony. Think about that that there's no harmony. Everyone wants, you know, our flesh wants to get out front. It wants to take the credit for when something does good. But when you're a servant, you're okay if somebody else gets the credit. You're okay if you feel walked on because you know you're serving for a greater purpose. You know, our church really is the way it is because we have great second violin players. Our Lady Life Conference who blessed so many people through hospitality was because they played the second violin so well that they planned in advance that they're okay not saying, you did a great job. There's power in when you understand the heart of a servant, and the heart of Jesus was a servant. And I pray that you catch this, that humility can change your life. Gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, loving people, working hard to keep unity among believers. These are the heart of Paul, of what he's trying to get out to us. But you know, when you do serve, if we're honest, it truly does cost you something. Serving does not come easy. We don't feel easily like we want to serve somebody. But when, if I look at my life, when me and Bree are trying to outserve each other, when we're trying to serve different people, guess what? We're the most fulfilled and most full of joy 
we are at any season of our life when we're serving. We might feel physically tired and feeling like, oh my gosh, are we, are we even making a difference in this area? We keep yeah. give, give, give. Yeah. But there's something within you that is fulfilled because you're serving. Moms, you know a lot about this, what it means to serve and get nothing in return. But you do it because you see your children growing. You see you're, you're working extra hours or dads, you're working extra hours to make sure that they have what they need. I'm telling you, there's power when you serve. Secondly, or thirdly, is the way you walk is up to you. A funny story I came across. This is a, a young wife by the name of Jennifer. This was her prayer. She said, Lord, I pray for wisdom to understand my man. Lord, I pray for love to forgive him. Lord, I pray for patience to deal with his moods. But Lord, I do not pray for strength, for if you give me strength, I will beat him to death. <laughs> Anybody ever been in that place before? Hard prayers, but you pray them because you know that's what you're supposed to pray. Being a servant is a choice. You know, we don't have the luxury as Christians to go off our feelings because we go off what the Spirit of God says. Our feelings don't change the Word of God. We have to make our feelings align with the Word of God. Even if we don't feel like it, even if we don't like Him right now, we still have to choose to do the right thing. You know, I've learned a lot about humility just the past couple years. I work a, a second job, and the second job includes uh, trash removal. And there's nothing more humbling when you pull up to someone's house, you lift their trash can, and you just get blessed with a great smell. <laughs> Anybody been there? But, you know, through it all, my prayer has always been, God, never let me be out of touch with the church. Never let me be out of touch of what people go through on a daily basis. And every time I go and do one of these jobs or every time uh, I, I push past and I throw a mask on and push past it and know that there's a reward, there's a, a paycheck on the other end of it, you just, you allow yourself to be humbled because something is happening. What that something is, is uh, a few days ago, uh, we did this big trash out in Newport, and Akia's husband, Phil, jumped in and helped, and some amazing things happened. He got this group of six guys together, and one of the guys on the team drove down from Winchester, Kentucky. He has five kids, and he said, man, wherever I hear money, I'm driving there, and I'm going for it. And I come to find and seeing all the connections of everything, but the guy's name was Red, and I believe he's Cassandra's brother. And Cassandra, I don't know if you're here today. He's or he's your nephew, okay. And he was, uh, usually when I go into these jobs, I love it because I never say I'm a pastor. I'm, just, I'm the trash guy. So sometimes people are just saying what they want to say and all this kind of stuff. And someone lets somebody know that, hey, you know he's a pastor, right? And they're just like, what the heck? I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, no, you're fine. It's awesome. It's, you play with people with it sometimes. <laughs> but Red, Cassandra's nephew, and it's been awesome to see your husband, Philip Akia, his life completely change, and we've had some awesome talks, and man, he's working hard. He's modeling excellence and getting the job done and keeping these guys motivated, and 
uh, Red just begins to ask tons of questions. He begins to ask, you know, I've never been baptized. Am I going to heaven? And all these things just start flowing out of him. He's just fearful for, you know, where he's at and what's going on. And seeing the standard that Phil had set on the job and the commitment to excellence and the conversation we begin to have with Red and Red's like, you know, I went and visited Cassandra and I know she recently got saved and man, she has changed. What has happened to her? And so her witness in uh, his life and what was need and kind of what God showed me as we were doing this job is you always have to be willing to address the mess. This was a massive mess and I almost was not going to take the job because it was so big. From the second to the first floor was a spiral staircase. So everything had to be thrown out the window in the back and carried around. It was awful. And so I was like, I don't even know if I want to go there with this job. But we did it anyways. And the guys busted it out and did an awesome job. But what was neat and what God showed me and what I felt he spoke to me is, if you don't address the mess, then those with the vision can never come in and really change it. And that's for your life. If you don't address that mess, then the vision, the one who say, hey, if we bust out this wall in this room and these paint colors and we can get this thing back up in the market, it can look like this. But if the mess is never addressed, then the vision can never come in. And Paul is saying, as he's explaining these, these truths, and if you read Ephesians 5, he begins to list things. There can't be sexual immorality and, and drunkenness and, and homosexuality and all these things that can plague us and bind us and keep us in our old nature. And so he's preparing them that the way you walk is up to you, but here it is. Each and every day we have a choice to make of how we want to walk and if we want to put on our new nature. And Lacey, if you would come this morning, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says this about the old and new nature. It says, regarding your previous way of life, you have to put off your old self, and the Amplified breaks it down. It says, completely discard your former nature, which is being corrupted through deceitful desires. And being continue, and here's what it says in 23, be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh, untarnished mental and spiritual attitude. Put on the new self, the regenerated and renewed nature created in God's image. Be godlike in the righteousness and holiness of the truth, living in a way that expresses to God your gratitude for your salvation. When, we're, when we do good works, it is an expression of our gratitude for our salvation. Ephesians 4, 17, Paul even says very bluntly, stop living like the heathen. And that's again to the Gentiles who were very pagan, who were on the complete other end and knew nothing about Christianity and so that's why he had to be so blunt. But again, when you hear these things, but you don't understand your, your identity, you don't get Ephesians 1 through 3 in your spirit, then all these things are just going to seem like rules. They're going to run you off. They're going to offend you. But when you see the spirit and with their broad, and what did Paul say? Man, my heart is to speak the truth in love. And that's a message in and of itself. Whenever you speak truth to people, to your family, you discipline your children, make sure you speak the truth in love, not out of wrath and not out of anger. This morning, if you would stand, I want to pray with you. Last night, we were having conversation with Lacey and talking a little bit about the message, and 
something that God just kind of brought up in conversation and, and what I believe is in regards to your high calling and you being rich in Christ and how to walk in that is that compromise is a calling killer. Areas of compromise in our life can rob us of the call of God on our life. You know, meekness and humility. Meekness is really understood. It's not weakness, but it's controlled power. When you're meek, it's not like it's wildfire all over the place, but meekness brings a fireplace for the Holy Spirit to burn and to provide warmth and to cook and to be a, a servant to you. My heart and my prayer is that we would be a church that truly would pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be a servant. Joyce Meyer said this, she said, when it comes to humility, and if you know her, you know she's had to learn a lot about it. But she said that when it comes to humility, it just doesn't happen. You have to pray for it, you have to study it, and then you have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit with it. And so if you have a heart where you just feel God checking you as he's checked me and he's, as he checks all of us, ask the Holy Spirit, where can I be a servant? Where can I walk in humility? Because pride always comes before the fall. Pride always destroys, pride always chokes out. But if we're a church that chooses to be humble and understand when we see these gifts and we get this foundation right, then the gifts can truly operate in the purity that Paul is, is sharing with us. And when we have these things, when you have a servant's heart, you look out for others, you truly care of what's on God's heart begins to be put on your heart, you're gonna find joy, fulfillment, and then guess what begins to happen? When you get your high calling right and the foundation of that, then it begins to trickle down and God provides opportunity for the passions in your heart for what you work at. Or he provides opportunities in your family for your family to be fulfilled and to operate and to flow. It's amazing. But it all starts of uh, you being willing and me being willing to say, Holy Spirit, I'm a servant. I wanna be a servant as Jesus was. And I tell you, when you approach Christianity with a servant's heart, then everything just begins its soil for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to grow. So this morning, if you bow your heads, I want to pray with you. Father, we thank you. As Paul said, he begs us, he urges us, implores us to live a life worthy of the high call of God. Father, none of us in here want to miss the mark. None of us in here want to not be in the will of God. I pray these virtues, patience, and humility, bearing with one another, putting our gifts on the table to promote unity, God, that these would be hallmarks of Gathering Place Church. These would be hallmarks of our lives, that we would allow the power of the Holy Spirit to break off our old man and that the new nature of Christ, one that is humble, servant-hearted, patient, can bear with one another, can love the toughest of people, that these things would be put within us, 
that our mouth would be bridled, that we wouldn't respond out of anger, but we would respond out of unselfish love, that we would see you at work in even the toughest relationships in our life or in the toughest situations. God, I know when we get this, when unity comes in and we try to outserve one another, that this is a recipe for miracles to happen, for lives to be changed, for people to experience the real reckless love of God. Father, do a work in us, Holy Spirit. We say, not my will, but your will be done. Lacey's gonna lead us in a time of prayer and if you need a moment just to come and take a knee at this altar, if you need to repent and pick up renewal when you, when you leave or if you just need to have a moment where you just humble yourself, maybe there's sin in your life and you need to have a moment between you and the Holy Spirit, take this time, reflect and allow the Holy Spirit to touch you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.